The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help support the show by clicking on the donate button on the website or in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Use the offer code CANDIDFRAME at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. Photographing nature and landscape is a popular genre of photography. It has been for as long as there's been photography. I think it's something that most of us appreciate when our lives are constantly surrounded by steel, glass, and concrete. It's easy to think that that's all the world is. But then you have photographers like Wasim McClashey, who take their very personal experience of the natural world and create something special with it. Photographers like Wasim don't just turn their lens on this world and document it. They create an experience, a reminder that this is part of our world. It's a very valuable part of it that deserves to be honored, protected, and respected. When I saw your presentation in, in Seattle, I was really, uh, you really piqued my interest in terms of your story. I, th- I think there are a lot of people that can relate to starting photography fairly young, it sort of dropping off, and then them later rediscovering it later. And I, I really like how your practice of, of landscape photography is such a personal expression for you. I mean, not just a personal expression, but just how, how personal it is to you. And so I thought, you know, it'd be a good point of point of conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm glad that I was able to convey at least part of what I hope to convey at that, uh, at that, uh, at PICS, at that conference, that speech. Uh, landscape, nature and landscape photography is definitely something that is extremely personal to me. Uh, it, it's, it, it's, it really helped me get through a lot of, uh, at the point when I really discovered it and jumped into it, I was going through a lot of turmoil uh, in my life on in different things, uh, personal life and business life and all sorts of things. And when I discovered uh, nature and landscapes and, and just the outdoors, when you're living in LA and I grew up in Los Angeles and Santa Monica and Venice, and that was my stopping grounds my whole life. Um, you tend to forget that there's a world outside of that. And there's a, uh, a enormously inspirational world just up the hill that I mean for 30 years I never knew existed and it was just a bad day and I just drove up uh PCH turned right on a street I've never been on Topanga Canyon Boulevard and found myself in this just wonderland that I wish I had discovered before but I'm glad I discovered at that point and I've just been hooked ever since um there's just something about uh, when you're outside and there's none of the noise and the static that you're used to in the city and all the thoughts that you're used to uh, just sort of kind of melt away and you don't even realize it. But all of a sudden you're just like in this place of peace and I got addicted really quick and I ended up moving up there within less than a couple of months. And it's just been, uh, it's taken over my life ever since. So it's, it's, it's uh, saved my sanity in many, uh, many senses. Well, tell us about what your life was, you know, before that, because I think it's, that's really a big part of who you are now. Uh, and what led you to sort of embrace this 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 life of of a photographer and a videographer and, and a landscape photographer 
Um, you said it's a singular bad day, but I think there was a lot of stuff that was going on in your life. So why don't you kind of <laughs> tell us what that was about? Yeah, that was uh, just the culmination at that point. It was just I needed to, to uh, get away. But it was almost a decade of, um, uh, I mean, I guess I can go back and start sort of near the beginning. But after I, I started photography uh, early in my life, my father was a photographer. Um, I was very interested in it as a child. I I was always taking photos. He helped me build a pinhole camera. Um, that was one of my first uh, science projects in, in school, and I just got addicted to it. And then when I took off to college, I kind of got carried away with college. And uh, for the first couple of years, I really wasn't doing much of anything as far as pursuing photography or video. And then I discovered a film with a friend of mine who was doing film, and so we started doing videos in college. And so we did a full-length feature. We did a uh, There was a film festival where... You had to make a silent film and then you had to get live music to it called the Real Loud Film Festival. So we made a film for that. And then we just did like little like little fun kind of pranks on friends and getting it on film, that sort of thing. So I, it basically reinvigorated my, uh, my interest in the, in the visual arts. And then when I got out of college, I came back to Los Angeles and uh, I went to college in Santa Barbara, so it wasn't too far. But I came back to L.A. with those same friends because we were still working on some projects. And ended up getting work uh, for a little while. I worked at a record label, but then I I moved into uh, video editing, and that kind of came. It, it sort of came out of nowhere. I had worked on video editing with my friends, like I was telling you in college, and then uh, I was doing PA work out here, which is production assistant work. If people don't know what that is, but it's basically you're uh, you're the first one there, you're the last to leave, and you're doing all the stuff that everybody else doesn't want to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then. One night there was an editor that didn't show up to a live gig and I had a little bit of experience and the guy asked, can you do it? And and <laughs> I should have said no, but for some reason I said yes because I was just like, either I get three times my normal rate tonight or I just lose a contact for I burn a bridge for production assistant work for that company. <laughs> And I was like, all right, it's worth the risk. Um, so I jumped in, I did it, and it worked out. And uh, they ended up opening an office in Los Angeles. It was a company that was based in New York, and they hired me as their full-time editor out here. So then I ended up doing full-time video editing for about five, six years uh, for corporate clients. It was a lot of it was a uh, General Motors was a big client, Mattel uh, was a big client, Armani Exchange was a big client. Uh, so a lot of corporate work, and it gave me a. Uh, I'm I'm super grateful for the experience that it gave me, uh, but it just wasn't uh, it just wasn't up my alley. Like there was just something. Uh, it it just wasn't me. We were doing a lot of things that I wasn't. I was grateful for learning the things I was learning and and learning the business side of things and that experience. But it just wasn't the subject matter that was you know that interested me. But uh, uh, so there was that, and then at the same time that I was doing that full time, I was running a print magazine. And that print magazine was based on music and arts and politics and culture. And this was at a time when uh, uh, it was a pretty volatile time in the country. This was when the first, uh, not the first, the second Iraq war in 2003 began. Um, and so a lot of our stuff, we were, uh, a lot of our stuff was, we talked to people like Congressman Henry Waxman. We talked to people like uh, the Sierra Club's Carl Pope. We were doing stuff with artists like Shepard Ferry and Mir One and Roby Canal and um, and it was like a lot of like, not subculture, but more like street culture sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and the artists, like we, at the same time that we draw people in with music, like Mars Volta and System of a Down and LP and things like that. 
what had happened was we got a distributor who saw us and he picked us up and he was like, uh, this can go national. And so that got us super excited. We're like, okay, let's take it national. <laughs> so he got us uh, onto newsstands and we were on Hudson News and we were, I don't know if people remember Borders Books and Barnes and Nobles and all that kind of stuff. And it was super exciting for the outside world, but for me on the inside and those of us that were running it, it was um, it was kind of tough because we went from having to deal with uh, just smaller local uh, advertisers and venues and things like that to now we had to up our paper quality, we had to up our advertisers, and we had to go after national advertisers. And that was just, when you're thrown into that, that especially at a time when print publications started to kind of go out of style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that was difficult. And so then that kind of put things into a bit of a tailspin, uh, ended up having to shut down that magazine, um, ended up with a good chunk of little debt from that magazine. Uh, the thing that still bothers me to this day is towards the end, we started making little embedded PDFs with music and video interviews with people and audio interviews with people and like CD reviews with little audio buttons you can push. And a lot of people were like, who's going to download a 300 megabyte website? And we're like, no, no, that's not what it is. And two years later, the iPad comes out and I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> we just kept doing that. <laughs> but yeah, so that was happening at the same time as the job that I was working at. So I was doing those at the same time. So that's basically several full-time jobs at once. And, uh, then there was some turmoil in the company I was working with. And then there was some turmoil with personal relationships that I was having. And, uh, it all just came to a head. And, uh, there was a moment when I just realized, and I was sitting in front of the edit bay with three screens in front of me and a bunch of Barbie footage. She took over my life for several years because she was one of our, uh, the projects for one of our clients, Mattel. Um, and I'd go home every night for the one or two hours that I get to sleep and I would just kind of like shake in a corner. I'm like, okay, something's wrong. Something's got to change. And it was soon after that, that I just, I, I, it, it just, I just had to get out and just get away. And so that's when, uh, going back to the beginning of the story, that's when I found myself just driving up the road, going up into Topanga. And when I took that first trip up there, uh, it was just, I had not felt that sense of peace in, in several, several, several years. Um, and so I was hooked from that point on and I moved up here and that's my, my entire direction changed. Now, why did you want to incorporate the camera? Cause I know a lot of people that, you know, love going out there and hiking and, and spending time out there and, and they don't necessarily want to go out there and make anything, make photographs in, in this particular case. Why was that sort of part of the experience for you? Why was that as, as important as being out there? There were, there's two reasons for that. Um, the main one is when you're working in the editorial world and the world that I was working in, you, you, uh, it's very, very, very difficult to sort of connect with the moment that you're in because you're just constantly reacting to everything that's around you and you just have to keep going and you don't really have time to slow down and absorb, uh, life and everything just becomes a blur and, I did not like that. And so at the same time that I started to discover nature, there was a good friend of mine uh, who was a street photographer. Uh, his name is Stephen Gill. You might not find too much about him. He refuses to get <laughs> in social media and online and all that. But uh, his work is incredible. And he convinced me to buy a DSLR, which was my first DSLR, which was a, a Nikon D40. And 
I had not had a, a SLR camera or a still camera other than a point and shoot or a video camera for probably about seven or eight years at this point. And so that when I got my first DSLR, I was it was it has not left uh, or a form of a digital camera has not left my side since that day because it was just it reopened that world to me. And the and then going back to the first part of the reason is I didn't want to let nature and landscape and the things that I love turn into those things that drove me away from what I was involved in. And I wanted to make sure that I did experience and appreciate the, those moments that I was in. And so photography basically opened up that window and that door to me to be able to sit like when that, when your eye is in that viewfinder, nothing else exists except that very moment. Mm -hmm. And I love that feeling when you pull that camera up and that moment is right in front of you and there's nothing else around you and your entire focus and entire being and all your thoughts and all your energy go into that single moment, whether it's a fraction of a second or a couple seconds, it really uh, mixed that with being outside and, and doing the hiking and the backpacking and um, being able to connect with nature on a level that I've never been able to before. It was a, it was basically a perfect storm of reminding me that, you know, I'm alive and, and, and despite all, all the things that go on around us and all the crap and all the, uh, you know, the, the BS that we tend to kind of focus on a lot of times because we get engulfed in, um, there's always beautiful things and there's always, uh, uh, there's always a reason and a place to escape too. And, uh, and not only that, but I get to experience some of those beautiful things and those photographs and those moments are, uh, those are my proof that, that, that I got to experience that. So every time I look at them, it takes me back to that feeling and that experience of, um, of being there with that moment. And it just makes me grateful that, uh, that I got to experience that and that, 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 that's a part of my life. And it makes me even more grateful that I get to share that with other people and, you know, hope that that encourages them to do the same and just stop and appreciate life for a moment, you know? You know, that, that personal experience of, of being in the moment and, and experiencing nature in that way, uh, that's wonderful. But it's a it's a hard thing to capture in a photograph. So I'm sure that, you know, you face some challenges in terms of having that wonderful experience and then looking at the photographs and going, yeah, but that wasn't it. <laughs> so w what what was your path to getting to the point where you felt that the photographs were reflective of part, if not all, of your experience? It's going to seem a little cliche, but it was when I stopped shooting to try to, uh, and it still happens every now and then I'll still try to shoot because I'll think somebody else might like this picture or other people might like this picture. But it was really when I was able to put that aside and just shoot for the things that I liked and that I enjoyed and that I was able to connect with because those seem to be the images that really, um, uh, that really resonate most with me because that's where my feeling is in. And, and I guess not so ironically, those are the same images that seem to resonate with other people when I share them. Mm -hmm. So it's really just kind of, uh, igno not ignoring, but, you know, taking all the inspiration from other photographers and other artists and other work, but making those moments, uh, using that more as an education and then making your moments your own rather than trying to give people what you think they want to see or what you think they might like or, or that sort of thing. Just do it for yourself. And if you do it for yourself, then other people are going to connect with it because it's, it's, it's more personal than if you're not doing it for yourself. So I think, and, and I still fall into the trap, you know, it's every now and then, like I'll see a scene or I'll see something. I'm like, Oh, people are going to love this. 
And so I'll take it and I'll do it. But when I go back and I'm processing and I'm going through and I'm going to editing, it's, it's always the ones that, you know, when you're in the field and you know, when you click that shutter, you know, that, that there was some sort of connection to, to that image. That's, that's always the one that seems to stand out to me. And that's always the one that seems to get the, uh, the best reactions from, uh, from when I share them. Can you point to a particular image or a particular moment where you felt like that, that, you know, all the cylinders were firing that you felt like you were able to, to, to gel what you were feeling, but also what you were managing to, to, to capture with your camera. Was there a particular trip that you took where you were, where when you saw the photographs, you felt like, yeah, I, I, I'm getting it. Yeah. I can think of a couple right off the bat. One of them uh, was in Yosemite Valley. And this was in March of, I want to say 2012 or 2013. I think it was 2013, just a couple of years ago. And, um, it was me and my cousin who works in Dubai and he was out here and Dubai is it's just all desert and he's a nature person also. And he was out there for circumstance for work. And he's like, okay, I'm in California for a couple of weeks. I need to get into nature. Take me somewhere. I said, okay, let's go to Yosemite. Um, so it was snowing and we decided to rent a Winnebago and just head into the Valley and see if we could make it down. Uh, and we did, we were able to get in just as the snowstorm began. So the roads weren't closed and all that yet. And then when we woke up the next morning, it was just super quiet and there was no one in the Valley. And it was just the most magical. If you've ever been in the Valley when it snows and there's no one there, it's, 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 if you don't feel something, then, then uh, you're dead inside. <laughs> there's, there's, it's, it's, uh, it's, there's no way to really put it into words. But we were down there, and so we just started walking around and tromping around in the snow. And I'm taking pictures. Uh, the, the clouds started to kind of uh, – they started to reveal half dome. So the clouds and the fog started to sort of uh, lift, and, and half dome started to appear. And I was sitting there, and I was set up, and I set up the tripod, and I was we were watching it. And it was just gorgeous, absolutely stunning. And so I snapped – pictures of it. And we stood there and we basically meditated for a good 25, 30 minutes. No one said a word. We were just in awe. And I wanted to capture a different angle of it. So I knelt down to my bag to go pick up a different lens. I wanted to switch lenses. And as I turned around to where my bag was, I looked in front of me and I just saw the the granite wall. And then I saw fog in between and I saw the treetops, the silhouette of the treetops in front of it. So it was three layers and they just mimicked each other. Like the trees were pointed like almost like in a W or in a V and the fog was mimicking those trees and the granite behind it was outlined by those shapes. And I just froze. I was like, I completely forgot about half dome. I completely forgot about those shots. And I was, I knew right there and then that this was it. And I literally snapped two frames and and that was all. And then I, I, I didn't even want to snap anymore because I was just like, that's it. That's the moment that I felt. That's the one that I want. And I just sat there and I, I really just wanted to soak it in. And so I, we, we, I didn't snap another picture for the next 30, 45 minutes until all that fog cleared from that valley from that moment. And to that day, that's probably one of my favorite pictures ever. Uh, and then another one was, uh, this was... Uh, so this one's not a landscape or nature one, but I was working in Sri Lanka earlier this year, uh, back in February. And at the end of the job, I had about a week to go travel around myself. And so I went to a, a little town in the hill. It's not a little town. It's a pretty big town. Um, in the hills, it's the cultural center of the country. It's called Candy with a K, K-A-N-D-Y. And there's this huge 
uh, like 800 foot Buddha statue that overlooks the city on the top of this hill. And it was my last night there. And I asked the, uh, I had a, there's a, uh, the little tuk tuk drivers. I had him refer me to like, if it's my last night, I want to get a sunset. I want to get a good view of the city. Where can I go? And he said, go to the Buddha. So I went up to the Buddha and there's a stairwell that goes all the way up to the top. Uh, and you could sit on the shoulder of the Buddha as you look over the entire city. And it was just, it's gorgeous. You stand there and you're like, this is, this is perfect. So I was up there as the sun started to set and it was perfect. And I got a couple of panoramic shots of the city, uh, with the hill and the lake. And you could see the temple of the tooth where, uh, it's a shrine to one of Buddha's tooth. Uh, his teeth are in there, and it's a big deal um, in in the Buddhist faith. And it was just it's it's it was just gorgeous. And so I snapped it, and I was happy. And then I was walking back down. And as I was walking back down the stairs, I just saw a bunch of monks uh, dressed in their orange robes coming up the stairs into a temple that's at the bottom of that statue. And I had not noticed that temple before because the stairs go on the other side of the the uh, other side of the statue. So as I started going down the stairs and I saw all these monks just rushing past me, I was, again, it's just like one of those moments where just time slows down and you really are able to take stock and feel where you're at and what you're experiencing. And, and I, I, I could not help but appreciate it. And so I turned around and I just see these monks going up these stairs. And it's one of those moments that you hope that everybody at one point in time can experience because it really it really kind of makes you appreciate just life itself and <laughs> being on this planet. And I, and I knew that that was the picture and that was a moment that I wanted to capture and remember that and take that with me because it would, it just, it just struck me. So I sat down at the bottom of the stairs. I didn't have a tripod with me. Um, I set it at on one of the stairs. It was pretty dark. I bumped up the ISO a little bit, uh, which kind of worried me at first cause I hadn't bumped it up that high before, but this, the camera I was using, which was a, uh, was it that, that one was a Samsung NX one, the, the high ISO on it just, it was, it, it didn't bother me at all. Like it just looked great. So I sat down, I bumped up the ISO. I was able to get a little bit of light. The twilight was starting to hit behind the statue. And just as all that was coming together, one lone monk came up the center of the stairs. He stopped in front of the statue. And I don't know if he was praying. I don't know if he was, or what he was doing there, but he just stopped for one moment in front of that statue and, I snapped three or four frames before he started moving again. And that has turned into one of my favorite images ever as well. Um, because it brings me right back to that moment. It brings me right back to what I felt. And, uh, and it really puts that entire trip actually into perspective. So it was a great way to end a pretty incredible trip up there. Yeah. I love, I love that photograph. Uh, I, I remember when I was at my computer and I first saw it and I was like, I, I didn't waste any time writing you something. <laughs> I was just like freaking amazing. That yeah, that was a that was a great moment. You know, I think that 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 speaks to this whole idea of of being open to the moment. I think that uh, one of the challenges when you're a photographer, especially when you're going to a location, whether it's in a city or it's out in the outdoors, is that the first impulse is to to make photographs that you've seen before. You know, if you look, yeah. you've had all these photographers that have visited the same location and made these photographs, and that is informing how you're seeing. It's informing where you're standing. It's informing your lens choice. All, all these things, right? And 
but the next step in that in that in that progression in that journey is getting to the point where yeah that's all all that stuff is there but then putting it aside and then seeing it from your own unique point of view and i think you speak to that and then that that's why those those two moments that you've shared with us were uh, so important to you but but being comfortable enough to 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 get to that place and stay in that place is a difficult one so what what do you what do you find helps you to to get into that place and to trust that especially when you know you're doing things that are very different from what other people uh are maybe doing it's 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 a process um it's definitely definitely a process and every time i go to one of these locations that you speak of where you, you want to get the picture that you've seen because it's um or the iconic picture and all this stuff it's there's a lot to be said for that i know that i'm not the first one to say this because i've heard this from you from everybody that you have to take that picture and it's a good, you, you just have to take it one just to get it out of your system. Mm-hmm. But that's really when you're so like, I, I mean, I could think back to many moments myself where like, I have to get there at this time. I have to be set up in this location. I have to get there before the other photographers get there. Cause I want to get the shot. So all you're really doing is filling your head in your space uh, with, with noise. And you're not thinking about anything other than the pressure of getting that shot. And, and in your head, you're like, oh, God, I'll fail if I don't get this shot. I have to get this shot. I have to be there at that time. And I hope the clouds are like this and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not until you snap that shot that you're free of all that madness to get your own shot in your own moment. And sometimes that means just stepping aside a few feet. Sometimes that means just dropping to your knees a couple of feet or a couple of inches Sometimes that means, you know, hiking up the trail an extra mile, mile and a half. But once you release the pressure of getting that shot, you know, quote unquote, that shot, then you uh, then you're open to get the shot that is yours, that is that is purely yours. And the another big part of it that has helped me get there, which is something, you know, it's it's uh, it's still a work in progress. And I it's it's become a big part of my life is, is meditation. And at times when I would just snap away and I would, you know, this whole spray and pray thing and I'd snap, I'd come home with just gigabytes and gigabytes and gigabytes of, of images. Now I'm a lot more, a lot more calculated. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. meditation has really kind of helped me get to that point where you start to really trust your intuition and you really start to trust your gut. So you don't have to shoot everything, but when you notice something or you feel something, uh, your intuition will tell you to act on that. And when you, uh, uh, and if, if you follow that and you're open to that, you'll start to see that, or you'll start to feel, at least I start to feel that those are the shots that really mean the most to me is because one, I don't have the pressure of getting that iconic shot anymore Two. I'm able to get myself into a place of, uh, of peace and comfort with myself in order to be open to getting the shot that means something to me. And it really slowing down is really a huge part of it. Like being able to kind of absorb your environment before you start snapping is a huge part of it, which is why you'll hear a lot of landscape and nature photographers and things go to the same location 
time after time after time, sometimes over years before they get the shot that they're happy with, because it's a, uh, uh, you start, when you're in a location, you really start to feel and absorb that location and you start to make that location yours rather than a location you just want to photograph. And when you make that location yours, because you become a part of it, then you're really able to capture that part of it that, uh, uh, that really expresses, I guess, the personal side of it in your photograph. Yeah. And I can imagine that must be difficult for, for people who were visiting a location, but they may not know, may not know when they're going to be returning to it, and so yeah. that so that pressure to come away with something gets magnified all the more. <laughs> you know, if you if you know you can revisit a place at some point, you know you can some of that pressure is taken off. Right. So you know, I'm sure there's been some places where you've gone to where you I don't know when I'm going to come back. So how does this sort of mantra this this sort of sensibility come into play when you know that uh this may be it for me <laughs> that's you it's um that's that's a struggle <laughs> i won't lie that's definitely a struggle um that does happen but what i keep telling myself in those situations is there's no reason i can't come back um so whether or not i know like in my deepest of hearts that i probably will never end up at that location again in my life i keep that option open that i could come back if, if I wanted it bad enough, I could come back like it is a choice somehow, some way. Now, granted, there's, you know, situations that, you know, like the fog in Yosemite Valley, like at that situation, that's never going to happen again. Uh, that was just I got lucky to be there at that moment or in that time. But in situations where I'm going to place is it going to a place that I, I may never return? It's um, those are definitely the most difficult situations to get the shots that the, the, the personal shots, uh, because you don't get to absorb, but you don't get to absorb it in the way that you get to absorb places that you get to go back and forth as many times as you want or as often as you like. I think that what helps in those situations is, uh, again, it's, and this is going to sound a bit counterintuitive, is don't start shooting right away. Because if you start shooting right away, then that's all you're thinking of is what you just said is I got to get this shot or I got to get a shot or how am I going to get this shot? I may never be back here. But if you don't start shooting right away and you really like absorb that location, and absorb that situation, you will find a shot that you can take away that will be yours and that will mean something to you. Um, 99 out of 100 times I've been able to find at least one shot and you don't have to come back with 100 shots. If you come back with one good shot yeah. that will take yeah. you back to that place then that, that, that's, really all this, that's really all you need. And that makes it all completely worth it. But that is definitely a struggle, is, is, is when you go to a place that you know you may not return to. It's, it's, uh, it's something that definitely rushes through your head, but it's just one of those things that meditation also helps with that, is just to, to let that go. Like you just sit down, start listening to, what, listening to what's around you, smell the smells that are coming around you, feel the things that are around you, like use all of your senses other than your brain because your brain gets in the way of a lot of that a lot of times and just let that go. And then something, something will come to you. Yeah. Just, it's, it's, uh, it's really trusting yourself, trusting yourself, trusting. And, and the worst part, the worst thing that happens is you don't come back with a picture, but you got to experience something that most people in their lives never would. And that, you know, that could be something that you should be at peace enough with to take away as a, um, as something of extreme value, you know, in your life, you got to, whether or not you got a picture of it, you still got to experience it. And sometimes that can mean more than, than anything in the world, you know, because then it's truly just yours. 
Having a passion for something, loving something, doesn't mean much if you don't have the opportunity to share it. Whether it's photographs, paintings, music crafts, whatever it is that you're into, the fulfillment of that creativity is sharing it with others and having them appreciate it. It's not just about getting likes on Facebook or Instagram. It's really about making a statement about this is who you are. This is what you do and you want to share it. It's the reason why I have this show and why Squarespace has been a big part of it. Having my website on Squarespace has provided me a platform that showcases my work as a podcaster, as a photographer, as an educator, and do it in a way that shows all of it at its best, without my having to invest too much time, which I don't have, to building and managing a website. It really amazes me that something so simple can look so good. You should really try it and see how Squarespace can make a difference in the things that you are passionate about. Start your free trial today with no credit card required at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code CANDIDFRAME to get 10% off your first purchase and help support the show. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. At least for me, that's a key uh, concept that I find works for me. It's like the less pressure I put on myself to come away with a definitive photograph. Uh, the last pressure I, you know, make that okay, I got to get something good from this, is <laughs> is not only creates a better a life experience for me, but increases the likelihood that I will come away with something. It's it's those days where I'm just like, you know, I've got the bear on my back to try <laughs> to try and deliver something for whatever reason is results in the most frustrating experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I feel like I'm trying to pull out my own teeth with a rusty set of pliers, and <laughs> even if I do come away with something, it's never it's never as gratifying as when I've just opened myself up to whatever, and something interesting and magical happened. Yeah, you're. I mean, you're absolutely right. And the thing is, is that we can't avoid that feeling you're talking about. That's just. Uh, the quicker and sooner we can accept the fact that that's just going to happen, whether we like it or not every now and then that's just, you cannot fully escape that the more prepared you can be for that moment. So that's, those are the exact moments like what you're describing right there is when you feel that on your back, those are the exact moments where I stop shooting. That's when I sit down and I'm just like, okay, this is, (laughs) this is completely defeating the purpose of me doing this. And I just need to stop. I just need to like recenter, re reevaluate my situation. And those are the times when I'll just sit down and I'll just stop and, and I'll just sort of try to absorb, you know, like I talked about a little bit earlier, I'll just try to absorb my, uh, my surroundings and then I'll continue. If I feel like continuing, if I feel that I should continue, then I'll continue. If I don't, then that's another thing is you have to learn when to not you personally, just in general, uh, you just have to, learn when what your limit is and when it's time to say uh stop mm-hmm. because if mm-hmm. you just keep putting pressure like if i keep putting pressure on myself then it just gets it just, it just, it just weighs heavier and heavier and heavier and then i just end up getting <laughs> angry and then i just end up getting frustrated and it just defeats the whole purpose of of why i love the art to begin with and 
that's that that those are the exact moments of when I'll just that that's that that's when I sit down and I stop. It's the, those what you just described right there is when I will just uh, I'll just stop and and just be grateful for being alive and be grateful for breathing that air and for seeing the things around me and experiencing these things that are happening around me. And then uh, more oftentimes than not, that's when I'll be able to get comfortable enough to get a shot that means something to me, mm-hmm. um, or I'll just take it and write it off as an experience in life that I enjoyed. It was a great afternoon in the city, a great afternoon in the park, a great afternoon in, you know, in front of this tree, a great afternoon on the ocean or whatever. Um, it's just letting go of that pressure and reminding myself why, uh, why I love photography and why I love the art and why I love the pursuit as much as I do. And, and being comfortable with that. It's just, it's just accepting it. You're going to have those moments. You're going to have those days. And it's just, uh, it's a, it's a necessary evil. One of the advantages that uh, you have is living in Southern California and mm-hmm. the accessibility to a, a variety of different environments. You know, you get the Santa Monica Mountains, you get the Angeles Crest Forest, you have the ocean, um, all in pretty relatively easy access to you. Um, how important has been that, that sort of ready access to you been in terms of your development as a, as a photographer? Because, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, going out to these very sort of exotic, famous locations. And uh-huh. I think that's, that, that's fantastic. But talk to me about the immediacy of some of the locations here in Southern California and why um, they have been so critical in your development as a photographer. Uh, it's because of exactly that, because of how accessible they are. And the thing is, is that there are all these, if you live in California, they're not as exotic and far off as a location as they are if you don't live here. But if you are here, it's, this place is an absolute gold mine. I mean, you can go to places that people have been photographing for a century or more and still find images that these I those eyeballs have never seen. It's just it's I mean between the coast between the Big Sur you know the coast to Big Sur the drive up to Big Sur up through the redwoods and Humboldt all the way to Shasta to Lake Tahoe the Sierras alone are just a gold mine between Sequoia National Park and uh, uh, Yosemite and Kings Canyon and then you've got Death Valley which people are like why would you go to Death Valley Well go there in the spring and you'll understand exactly <laughs> why it's just such a magical place. <laughs> Um, you know, Joshua tree and, you know, places like Sandy, it's just, you can get, it's the same way of like when people live in California, they say you can go surfing in the same day that you can go skiing in the same day that you can do basically everything. It's the same thing for photography. Um, you can, you've got the mountains, you've got the coast, you've got the desert, you've got every single possible, uh, combination of landscapes and, and images and situations and weather and conditions that you could think of. And it's a, uh, and all of it is within, you know, at, at the worst, it's an eight or nine hour drive. That's amazing. <laughs> like, that's just amazing that you could do that. So it's definitely played a huge part because uh, when you're freelancing and if you have some time off, you can go do these things. Like I can drive up to Big Sur on a Tuesday if I wanted to, if I wasn't working. And I know that I can be back if a job did come up, I can be back the next day. Like it's not that big of a deal. If I, if, if I wanted to go to Lake Tahoe or if I wanted to go to, uh, uh, to Yosemite, which is just, that's, it's amazing that I can get to Yosemite in six or seven hours. Um, you can do that. And the fact that that's an option for just a weekend jaunt is a, it's a huge, it's, it, we're very, 
I'll be the first one to admit that we're incredibly spoiled. <laughs> um, <laughs> incredibly spoiled with that. So it's it's definitely played a huge part because it's allowed me to uh, to explore all these uh, all these areas and all these things through a different through a different vision or like looking at it through different eyes rather than just visiting it. Cause I'd done a lot of camping growing up. We did a lot of that stuff, but it was never, a, I was never really concentrated on capturing those like through photography or videography. And it's just opened up a whole new world. And like you see everything in, 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 in a whole new light. And it's a, uh, um, it's, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> um, but because of how spoiled it's still, it, it has, it has done nothing to curb my wanderlust. So despite all that, I still want to go everywhere else. Like I still, I still want to explore every single other state, every single other country, and all that kind of stuff. It's a, it's, it's, uh, it's an addiction. It's definitely an addiction. Well, well landscape photography is not known for uh, being a great career move, you know, <laughs> in terms of being able to earn lots of money from it. I mean, the people who do are sort of few and far between. Right. Um, but you know, for people who have a passion for it. Uh, the, the challenge is, okay, how do I find a way to make this a big part of my life? It may not necessarily be my making a living from it, but uh, I am getting to do it. I'm getting to experiencing it. I am getting to make the photographs that make me so happy. So could, could you sort of break down what your life choices have been in terms of like the work that you do, how you choose to live, so that you can take advantage of those weekend weekend trips to Yosemite or wherever you're going. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, you're you're right. It's it's not the easiest thing to make a living in at all. <laughs> um, but through my life, I've, uh, I've chosen all the hardest things possible to actually make a living in. Whether it's the publishing industry, there was a cafe at one point. There was I've never really taken the easy road, which I don't know why uh, I should, but. I love it, and I can't. I, I I can't stop doing it, whether I make a living uh, at it or not. And my advantage, which looking back now, you know, someone recently told me that you can't really, uh, you can't really put all the pieces together. Or you can't really understand what's happening while it's happening. But when you look back, you can kind of connect all the dots and see what led to what. And my experiences in video shooting and editing, my experiences in publications, writing and editing, and and, and designing and all that kind of stuff that has really helped a lot because my career is not fully in just landscape and nature photography. So I do a lot of editorial shoots. I do a lot of video stuff. I still do some writing. I still do. So it's all the skills that I've learned and I've been able to accumulate uh, over the past decade and a half or so. Um, so it's really just a matter of being able to use all the skills that I've been able to, uh, uh, to learn, you know, through my adult life. Um, and apply all of those. So I still do some videography. I still do, I do a lot of photography editorial shoots. I do uh, a lot of actually a lot of interior design and uh, real estate photography as well. I do, uh, um, so it's not just landscape and nature photography that's keeping me alive. It's a culmination of all the other skills that I, that I've been able to learn um, along the way. So while I was going through them, it was a, uh, it was definitely a storm, <laughs> but looking back on them, I'm super, super grateful for all those experiences now at this stage in my life because I'm able to apply those towards things that I love. So I can, you know, I've recently worked with Subaru on a campaign with the National Park Service. 
they used uh, one of my images for a campaign they're doing to clean up the national parks. I was able to uh, recently build a, uh, or through photography actually, I entered a photo contest with the Nature Conservancy that led me to one of the people that work with the Nature Conservancy is the the uh, World Forestry Center up in Portland. And I've been in touch with them for the past six or seven months, and I'm going up there on Monday to do a job with them. And we're talking about extended work with them. So it's it's really a matter of taking what you love and, and walking into the doors of opportunity to open up that have a path towards those things that you love. So I'm under no illusion that I'm going to make my entire living off just going out and shooting landscape and nature. But I am, uh, I think I do have enough uh, experience and I suppose uh, a knowledge to know that these things will lead me to the direction of doing stuff that I am interested in as long as I walk into those opportunities when those doors open up for me. So those are what allow me to continue to go out and take photos on a weekend in Sequoia or take photos on a weekend in Zion or take off to, you know, Big Sur or whatever the heck it is. Um, it's knowing that those are what keep me at peace. Those are what make me happy. And while I do that, those open up doors towards other directions that are uh, related to those things that make me happy. How often are you getting out, getting out to shoot? Uh, pretty often the last month or so, not too often. Cause I've been, uh, it's been, <laughs> going back to the very beginning of this. It's every client who is trying to make up for lost time from the year <laughs> before the year is over. They're trying to wrap up a bunch of stuff. So I've been very busy, um, just kind of wrapping up projects, uh, for, you know, for those clients, um, before the holidays. So it's, uh, the last month or so I haven't been getting out as much, but uh, before that, I mean, on average, I'd be out at the very least, I'd be out in these, the Santa Monica mountains every weekend. Cause I live right in the middle of, I live in Topanga Canyon. So I'm like right in the middle of the Santa Monica mountains. Um, I've got a very intimate knowledge of these Hills. So, and I just love being out there. So, uh, on average, I'd get out about two or three times a week, at least for a hike to get out of town. I try to get out of town at least once a month. So whether it's for just a day, whether it's for a weekend, whether it's for several days. Um, and then if I have a job out of town, then I'll just tack on an extra couple of days to the end of that. Like last month, uh, or like when we were talking about um, the PICS conference up in Seattle, I just tacked on three or four days after that to head down to Portland, Oregon. So then I was out there for a couple of days uh, and I do that on purpose just so I can take <laughs> just for myself so I can get images. Um so on, yeah, on average, I'm, I get out of here at least once a month and, uh, on, on, and then as far as just getting outside, like in my local area, three or four times a week. Is it important for you to go out there all by yourself or do you, um, share that experience with other people periodically or does it make a difference? Both. It's one, I, I definitely... I do enjoy going out by myself, but at the same time, like I get a super rush of sharing this, uh, these experiences with people, with other people, because especially here in LA, like a lot of my friends, they, they have, they, even they have no idea that this stuff was up here. And just to see that look on their face of like when they're in a situation, like when they're overlooking, you know, the Pacific ocean from the top of, a. Uh, uh, from the top of a hill where the Jim Morrison caves are up in Malibu Creek, um, things like that. It's just, 
to see the look on their face, like it reminds me of how I felt when I discovered it. And I love, it's, it's one of my favorite things is sharing those experiences with other people. So, <laughs> um, it goes both ways. I definitely, I, I, I do take advantage of the fact that I can go out by myself and just sort of just meditate, you know, out there, um, with me, my camera and, and the environment, but I also get a super rush out of sharing that with other people. So it's a, it goes completely both ways. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to uh, recommend another photographer for mm -hmm. listeners to <laughs> discover and explore. So who would that one photographer be and why? Uh, so this one, <laughs> it's, it might surprise you because it's a little, uh, it has nothing to do with nature or landscape photography, but it's, uh, this guy is Mohammed Salem. He's a Reuters photographer. He lives uh, in the Palestinian territories and he just, I was recently turned on to him through the Reuters, um, uh, the Reuters website. And he just, we don't get to see a lot of pictures of just daily human life coming out of those parts of the world. Um, uh, things that happen in that part of the world seem to be a lot of, uh, it's pretty sensationalized. So he is a guy that grew up there. He was born there. He lives there. And so he just captures the same everyday portraits and, and, and moments of daily life out of these areas that we see, you know, captured at, whether it's weddings or celebrations or, 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 you know, it, people doing their work or people on their jobs. It's just, um, it's really nice to see like this sort of humanized side of a, uh, of an area that people don't see too much from. So I'm going to, I'm going to say him, Mohammed Salem. Uh, he's a Reuters photographer. If you just type in his name into Google, a bunch of stuff will come up. Uh, and then, um, so yeah, so it has nothing to do with nature or landscape, but if we were to go that route, I would, I would, uh, or I'm only allowed to say one, huh? Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> we'll stick with it. <laughs> all right. And so where people can go, where can people go to find out more about you and, and all the work that you do? Uh, for me, they can go right to my, uh, my website is www.wasimofnazareth.com. It's W-A-S-I-M of Nazareth.com and uh, links to everything are on there. So my blog is on there. My uh, other websites and stuff are uh, all links through that website. So they can go right, right there or Instagram at Wasim of Nazareth as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure, Barney X. Thank you. Thanks again for joining me. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows 8. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. The Candid Frame is a member of TWIP, a network of photo-related podcasts. You can find more great shows on your favorite topic by visiting thisweekinphoto.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.